a good morning. What a great morning it is. It's an excellent, excellent morning to be in the house of the Lord. And before we move on with the Word of God this morning, I want to just give you a little update about some in our congregation. When we have folks who are here and they're part of the membership and they are making a change, I always seek to talk to them and would love to bless them. And I want to give you an update on Rick and Carol Weaver. Rick and Carol came to see me just last week, and uh, they are moving to Tennessee. And they have family, uh, kids, grandkids, and so it's a bittersweet moment for them because they love Bethesda, and they love being here. And I said, hey, come on, let's bless you, and I'll pray over you. And I did that in the office because things have just moved super fast for them. They didn't really think uh, things would be so accelerated. Rick had sought a job. He said he went out on Indeed.com, put his resume up, and thought, well, this is going to take some time. But God just blessed him. And he heard from someone almost immediately. They had a phone interview, said, when can you start? He was off to Tennessee uh, the day after we talked. And uh, he's down there. Carol is going to uh, be going there next month. Rick and Carol served here very faithfully. They were part of our uh, safety team, and we just love them. And we're going to miss them, so I wanted to let you know why. If you've noticed, sometimes they're out in the halls, and they're looking after us, and now they're not. You know where they're at. And you pray for them. We had a great time of prayer in, in my office, and uh, we just uh, blessed them. And they're searching out a new church, and I know God is going to put them in a place where they can, their heart was, we want to just take everything we've uh, learned here at Bethesda and use it at, at a, a new church home in Tennessee. So that's, that's where they're at, and I would have loved to have them up here, but you saw their photo, and you got a little reminder of who they are. We're going to miss them. And I know God is he's just working in their lives. God continues to work in all of our lives. We've heard, we heard a little word of encouragement about the Spirit pouring out on all flesh. That is God's work. His Holy Spirit is moving. We're grateful for that. Uh, he's moving in the church. We have been talking about the things that Jesus uh, has done. If you've been here for the past number of weeks, this started by really looking at the question, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Well, how can we answer that question unless we truly know what Jesus did? Many presume to tell us or to maybe in a conversation say what Jesus would do, but they hardly have any knowledge about what Jesus actually did. So we're looking at what Jesus did. And this morning, we're continuing that. And I want to share with you some examples of some who've answered this question, what would Jesus do? And then let's look at what Jesus actually did. Now, I used this example in December. This is just one example of someone saying, what would Jesus do? And I'm going to give you a couple of more examples. So I'm not just focusing on this one example. But I mentioned a poem in December. And 
It was entitled Jesus at the Gay Bar. What would Jesus do? Well, he would go to a gay bar. And the person who wrote this is a person called Jay Hume. And I'll share with you, it's very short. I didn't read this in December, but I thought I'll just share it with you. It's titled Jesus at the Gay Bar. It says, here in the midst of it, right at the center of the dance floor, robe, robe hitched up to his knees to make it easy to spin. At some point in the evening, a boy will touch the hem of his robe and beg to be healed, beg to be anything other than this. And he will reach his arms out, sweat, damp, and weary from dance. He'll cup the boy's face in his hand and say, my beautiful child, there is nothing in this heart of yours that ever needs to be healed. So that, you know, that's one person's take on what Jesus would do. And the poem wants to make the point that if Jesus were to go to a gay bar, and we know Jesus, he, he went many places where uh, people would be called sinners. But if he were there and at this point in time, he would be there to affirm the life. And especially one who's begging to have that life changed. Jesus would say, well, no, you don't need to change. There's nothing in your heart that needs to change. That's what he would do. He would say, you're good just as you are. And again, I don't mean to focus on that one example. Uh, Jesus didn't he didn't condone sin. He talked about it. There were behaviors and lifestyles that Jesus called evil. And he gave a list. He gave a list similar to some of the lists you'll read in the letters in the New Testament. Jesus gave a list of sins. And in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7, he listed these things. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Jesus said, these are all evil. So sexual immorality, that's just one on the list. Uh, the, the poem is an example of the attitude of many. Re regardless what the item might be, regardless, if we go through all that list that Jesus said, whatever the life practice one might have, the attitude is, you know, Jesus would, he'd be my friend, he would hang out with me uh, He'd hang out with my whole group. The people just like me, and he would accept us because the Bible tells us Jesus ate with sinners. He was a friend of sinners. And you all call us sinners. We're the ones Jesus would hang out with. And that's the image of the poem. Jesus dancing, sweating, his robe hiked up to his knees. It's, like I say, just one example I'll give you another. I, I read an essay. It, it was titled, Jesus Would Have Hung Out in a Dive Bar. So this was written by a Christian who described his dive bar. And in his description of his dive bar, he said, there's, for sure, there's people that, they're alcoholics. And then there's another group that they just talk in coarse language, and it's the norm. That's just their normal way of conversing. And then there's others. There's another group of people that are in, uh, this was the, the, quote, irregular sexual relationships. And those who enjoy illegal substances as well as substantial amounts of alcohol. And the, or, the author of this essay proposed that Jesus would walk into his dive bar because he likes these people. And he genuinely wants to just be their friend, 
to get to know them. He might want them to change, but getting people to repent, that would not be his purpose. Now, if you think, if you believe that would be the purpose of Jesus, you are judgmental. That's a... That's just over-the-top judgment because Jesus would not always be on. He wasn't always on. He wasn't always there to seek to judge sin and then offer forgiveness. That's not why he hung out with, you know, the riffraff. And if you think that's all he would be doing, that, well, that would be Jesus making a sales pitch. I'll give you a direct quote, too. Jesus did not eat with sinners solely to call them to a changed and fruitful relationship. That would be slightly inhuman, more calculating and transactional than loving. So this is the point. Jesus would, he'd hang out with those who would be characterized as sinners, and he wouldn't call them to be changed. He wouldn't point out their sin. He wouldn't point them to a better life. Because that's calculating. That is a cold, unloving transaction. Kind of inhuman. Another essay that I read, a third example, this was titled Inclusive Christianity. It was all about the all-inclusive nature of Jesus. Again, written by someone who is part of a church that has Christian in the name, says they're Christian. And and in this essay, it it stated, Jesus ate with the outcasts, the downtrodden, anyone who was considered impure. Discrimination in his day may have centered around gender, health, social status, and religious practices. It could just as easily have been discrimination based on nationality, ethnicity, race, and sexual preference as we see today. And on the idea of religious practices, uh, the essay had this quote. I have often speculated on what Jesus would have done. Again, here, what would Jesus do? I have often speculated on what Jesus would have done if he had been seated around a table with a Buddhist, a Hindu, a Muslim, and a Shintoist discussing ultimate truth. I just can't believe that Jesus would have said, you must all forsake your beliefs and come and follow me. I think he might have pointed out the differences were chiefly a matter of semantics and that there is an underlying principle similar to the Christ idea in every religion. I think he would have stressed the basic unity within the diversity of religions, pointing out that the greatest need of all persons is to find that indwelling unity with God, which is found in the principle of divine sonship that we call the Christ. So these essays, the essays, the poems, they're the author's versions of answering the question, what would Jesus do? Jesus, he'd go to the gay bar, he'd go to the dive bar, he'd have a blast, he would affirm everyone, he'd say, you're righteous, it's okay. Uh, He wouldn't do anything inhuman, like talk to them about changing their ways. Jesus he would say to the pantheist Hindu, hey, I say that I'm the way. You say there's thousands of gods. And that's just semantics. That's okay, you're doing good. 
as I've said for the past several weeks, answering this question, what would Jesus do? It requires, we must know what Jesus actually did. What did Jesus do? He ate with sinners. Yeah, that's true. Yes, he did. He interacted with people like me that would be characterized as sinners. He engaged with sinners. And there are accounts which record Jesus very, very intentionally engaging with those that would be called and identified as sinners. We sung a chorus earlier this morning. And I think it was inspired uh, by the account where Jesus allowed a woman who, who was known as a sinful woman to wash his feet with her tears. And she kissed his feet. And then she anointed his feet with expensive ointment. And this woman was expressing her deep regret for her life. Her, her decision to repent was all in that moment of weeping over Jesus' feet. Her devotion, her love, yes, it was all there, right there in that moment. And, and, and she was showing her decision to throw off her sinful ways. And what did Jesus say to that woman? Your sins are forgiven. When Jesus encountered the chief tax collector, a guy named Zacchaeus, he said to him, I must stay at your house today. So there he is. He's engaging people. And these tax collectors were identified as, as traitors to their countrymen. Uh, they were working for the occupying Roman forces. They were hated because they were rich. They extorted money from their own people. And Zacchaeus was not just a tax collector, but he was a chief tax collector, truly hated by his own people. And Jesus said, I'm coming to your house. Zacchaeus repented. He turned his life around, and he did it with great joy. He had a great celebration. He was thrilled. He promised to repay anybody he stole money from four times over and give half his wealth to the poor. Jesus encountered a lone Samaritan woman at a well, and he engaged her. He pointed out how she had had five husbands, and the man that she was with currently was not her husband. And she dropped everything she was doing, and she became an evangelist for Jesus. And again, she was, she was showing how she was turning her, her, her life toward him, away from what he had pointed out. Now, these are just a few examples of what Jesus did when he engaged sinners. And in all of them, in all of them, Jesus was not just hanging out. He wasn't there just to chill and get to know them. He wasn't just taking time off. Oh, I need to take some time off because this preaching business is too hard. Getting you people converted is too much. No, he was on. He was on. And he was there to make a transaction a transaction about eternity, and it was fueled by his love for souls. And that was far from inhuman because he was trying to keep people from hell and offering them the way to eternal life. Now, now let's look at another example from Scripture, and we're, we're going to look at this a little bit more in depth. In this account, Jesus was near the city of Capernaum. It was in the north section of, of Israel. He was by the Sea of Galilee. He was teaching he was healing. He had just healed a man and said, your sins are forgiven. And then this, then this. Now, this is Luke chapter 5. And it's verses 27 to 32. 
It says, after this, after Jesus had healed that man and forgave his sins, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Levi, he's also called Matthew. If you read the Gospel of Matthew, it says, It was Matthew at this tax booth, so I'm just going to call him Matthew. Matthew collected tolls. He collected duties. His booth was located on on a road that came from Damascus through the Jordan Valley and and there by the Sea of Galilee. And he would collect tolls or customs duties as payment of transport taxes for merchants, farmers carrying their wares, to to market traders who had things that they were going to trade. They were all coming into this region of Galilee and he was collecting the tolls and the duties. And like other tax collectors, he likely took more than he needed to take and padded his own pocket. And yet, Jesus said, Matthew, follow me. Follow me. And Matthew immediately left everything, immediately. Now, he he was there around Galilee. Maybe he had seen Jesus teaching and preaching, had a little awareness of him, but he left everything. This shows how, again, he's turning from that lifestyle of collecting more than he should and padding his pocket. And like Zacchaeus, Matthew celebrated his repentance He celebrated his newfound life of following Jesus. He had a party. He had a big banquet. Jesus was the guest of honor. The scripture said that Matthew had this banquet for Jesus. Jesus went to the party. And who was he with? That's another account. Another account of Jesus with sinners. A bunch of other tax collectors. Who was Matthew's friends? But other tax collectors. They were all hated by everyone else, so they had their own little kind of cloistered group. And then the Jewish religious leaders happened by. The Pharisees, the the teachers of the religious law, they were experts at all the rules of the religion. They showed up and they accused Jesus of consorting with tax collectors and sinners. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners, they asked. What did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? He explained to them why he was doing what he was doing. Now, did he say to them, hey, leave me alone. I need to hike up my robes and start dancing. Did he say, hold on just a minute. Will you stop judging these people? And calling them sinners? Did he explain, well, I just want to make some friends here. I'm chilling out. I'm hanging out. Leave me alone. I'm off. 
Or, or did he say to these Pharisees, what are you doing outside the gate? I'm all about inclusion, so come on in. Jesus didn't say any of these things. None of the above. He said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. In other words, all these people I'm with, they're sick. And Jesus is the doctor. Now to some, this might sound a little harsh. It might come across as even a bit inhuman. Jesus pointing out these people are sick, but that's what he's saying. The people at the party, they're sick. They need a doctor. And then he went on and said a couple more things to make it really clear. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, now we know there's none righteous. There's none righteous. But the Pharisees, these experts in the law, they saw themselves as righteous. They were righteous in their own eyes. Yet they were as sick as those at the party, those at the banquet who needed Jesus. These Pharisees and experts needed Jesus just as much, but they saw themselves as above. They saw themselves as righteous. They were self-righteous. And they didn't think they were sick at all. They didn't think they needed a doctor. They looked down on those others as the ones who were sinners. And you know what? Jesus didn't even dispute their view. He didn't say, oh, those people aren't sinners. No, he said the people at the party, they are sinners. And they are in need of repentance. Just like a sick person needs a doctor. Their souls had a terminal affliction and they were going to die. And there was Dr. Jesus and he had made a house call. He wasn't off. He was on. And in his calling, he was calling sinners. He called Matthew. Matthew, follow me. And these are some key words. Follow me. What did Jesus do? He said, follow me. Anyone, anyone who makes a case for, for, for otherwise, that Jesus wouldn't be there to say, follow me. That Jesus was just, he would come to something like this to hang out with sinners. They say, oh, Jesus, well, he was a friend of prostitutes and sinners. So Jesus, well, he'd be my friend. Jesus would hang out with me and he would affirm me he would never call me a sinner and ask me to change. Jesus would never say this heart needs changing or healing. No, Jesus would never be so inhuman as to attempt to convert me with some cold transaction. He wouldn't just come and, and, and call me out with judgment and then offer forgiveness. No, no, that, that, that transaction's cold. And, and you know what, too? There's so much quibbling about, about all that Jesus would do. It's just semantics anyway. He was all-inclusive, and that's it, and that's that. All that kind of talk, all the poems, all the essays, this is what they are. They are a justification. They're a justification of pharisaical self-righteousness. That's exactly what they are. They all come to this conclusion Jesus didn't come to call me. I'm righteous. I am not a sinner. 
I have nothing to repent of. I'm good. Jesus would hang out with me just the way I am. And another way to put it is this way. Jesus didn't call me to follow him. Uh Uh-uh. I called Jesus to follow me. That's what it's saying. Jesus would follow me. He would do what I'm doing. People can say what they think Jesus would do all the time. They can write poems. They can write essays that sound beautiful. They use beautiful words. They sound so loving. But really, what they are expressing is this. Jesus, you get behind me. You follow me. Jesus, you conform to me. Jesus, you conform to my image. How dare you say I should conform to your image? The key words of Jesus, follow me, follow me. That's what Jesus said to Matthew. And he didn't say, Matthew, hey, Matthew, I'll follow you. No, Jesus sought followers. That is what Jesus did. He sought those who would be transformed into his image, not the other way around. No. Now now hear these words of Jesus. Hear these words of Jesus. He was teaching a crowd of people. This is the great Sermon on the Plain in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 6. This is verses 39 and 40. Jesus told a two-sentence parable. Luke 6, 39 and 40 says, He also told them this parable. Two sentences. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? And then the explanation. The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. A very short parable with a very clear point. Jesus is the teacher. We are the students. And you know, we're not above the teacher, never. The teacher does not submit to the student. Jesus doesn't submit to me. He's not about affirming me. He's not about affirming our ways. He's not about affirming or conforming to our ways. Everyone who is fully trained is like the teacher. Oh, let's, let's aim to be fully trained. Let's aim to be like our teacher. Our aim is not that Jesus would be like us. Not that he would come into my place and start to be like me. No, that we would be like him. But so many, they've twisted it around. They've got it the other way. And they do it with eloquent and beautiful words. And they put themselves in the place of the teacher. And they put Jesus in the place of the student. And they teach, Jesus will conform to them. That's what they're teaching. And what did Jesus do? He said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've come to call sinners to repentance. What would he do? He would say, repent. If he'd come into whatever party, wherever we're at, he comes in with a group, he is going to do that. He's going to say, come on, follow me. You're not following me. Follow me. And you know, how do we know that? Because that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. He called sinners to repentance. The Greek repentance. Metanoia. And and transliterated, it's better said metanoia. 
And it's a compound word. The first part's meta. Meta means change. Meta means to change. The second part, noia, it's about your mind. It's about thinking, how one thinks. Metanoia is a fundamental change of mind. And Jesus, he said, love the Lord your God with all your mind and your heart. The mind and the heart are inexplicably connected. It's a change of mind, a change of heart. This is what repentance is. And this is what Jesus called people to, to have that fundamental change. It's it's translated to English, repent. Jesus called for this change of mind, a change of heart. And what are the results with a change of mind and a change of heart? It's a change of direction. Matthew, follow me. He left what he was doing. He turned his life to a different direction behind Jesus, following Jesus. And that's what Jesus did. He called people to do that. You know, when one turns in repentance towards Jesus to follow him, Jesus is merciful. Read it. Read how many times he said, and and I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. Like the woman who washed his feet. Like Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector. The woman at the well in Samaria. Matthew, the tax collector. They repented. And they received mercy. Don't ever, don't ever count on mercy without the repentance. Don't fall into the trap. Do not fall into the trap of those who justify their own ways by saying Jesus was all-inclusive. Oh, he ate with the tax collectors. He ate with the sinners. He was a friend of sinners. Don't fall into the trap and believe and think. That's mercy and love. Jesus just coming to hang out with you and affirm your way. No, no. The mercy and the love of Jesus is expressed in Jesus, the teacher, Jesus, the head, Jesus, the doctor, whose desire is to win sinning souls to eternal life. This is what Jesus did. And that's, that's my Jesus. Is, is he your Jesus today? Is that your Jesus Let's not, get, let's not get pulled by all these, these writings of people who say they're Christian, and yet they're telling us what Jesus didn't do. Don't fall for that. Don't fall for that, church. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's ask God for that strength. And, and I just want to say, if there's anyone here who's never, they've never, you've never come to that point of true repentance, that true turning, that metanoia, that change of heart and mind and direction, let's pray. You know, I, w- I want to just say, too, at the end of every service, these altars are always open for prayer. If you've got something you need to pray about today, and maybe, maybe you're getting pulled in by some of, these, some, of these, some of these Christians who would say, here's what Jesus would do. Or you just need strength. Strength, because you know that battle's hard people coming against the words of Jesus. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's stand and let's pray and let's invite the presence of God to give us that strength and that encouragement today knowing what our Lord and our Savior Jesus did. Oh, Father, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we pray. And we do that because that's what he asked us to do. He said, ask in my name. 
Come to the Father in my name. And we do that, Father. We come in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. The one way. There's nothing semantic about it. It was clear what he did. He called us to follow him. And Lord, I pray, I pray over every single person in this sanctuary and any who are joining uh, through technology, if they're being pulled by those that would say, ah, oh, Jesus would accept this, or Jesus would affirm that, or he'd say yes to this, and he wouldn't judge that. Lord, I pray, I pray, hearts that would want to follow you, Jesus, what Jesus did. And that his love and his grace and his mercy was about eternity, not about today, not about satisfying our flesh for a moment, but about winning our souls for eternity. God, if we need that strength and that encouragement, I pray you just pour it in. Like we heard earlier, the reminder of you pouring your spirit upon all flesh, God. We need your Holy Spirit to confirm that in us, Lord, and to guide us and to keep us strong and, and to keep us firm in following you and not letting go and not following after the world and not falling stray to these temptations that you are something different than who you truly were. Almighty God, the way and the truth and the life and the one and the only way to salvation. God, I just pray that strength upon every single person here. We need it, God, as we walk out into this antichrist world that would tell us Jesus was a, a man that should follow us. God, bless us, help us, and give us that strength. And Lord, if there's anyone here that needs to truly repent, and they, they need to truly have that change of heart and mind and direction in their life, and they've never given up their, their tax booth or whatever it might be, Lord, whatever they need to let go of to follow Jesus, Lord, and to say, I'll give you my life. I pray, God, you'd be working on those hearts right now that they would truly let go and say, I'll follow you. I'll follow you because I know I'm following you to eternal life. And I'm letting go of this death, this death I got right now even though it's, it, it might feel good and, it, and I, th I think I need to be affirmed in it, Lord, I just pray that turning. I pray it, Lord. I pray anyone who's doing that right now, you'd receive them like you received that woman at your feet, like the chief tax collector, like the lady at the well, like Matthew in his booth. God, you would receive them with mercy and forgiveness. Thank you for that, God. Thank you for that, God. Now bless us as we go. Keep us in the palm of your hand. Watch over your people, God, and bring us back again to truly, truly learn of you and follow what you did. Thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.